Life Audio. Every time you fall, God is there to pick you up. Every time you fail, God's grace outruns your failure. This is who our God is. He is ultimately merciful. He is ultimately good. He is seeking your good. And you can come back to Him again and again. So don't let your failure separate you from God. That is what the enemy wants you to believe. But what your God wants you to know is that he's always willing to welcome you back, that he's always waiting to embrace you, that as far as your transgressions are removed from you, as far as the East is from the West, God is removing your sin from you. So come back to him today. Come back to him in your failure. Come back to him and ask for his strength and he will meet you again and again. He will never grow tired or weary of meeting you in your need. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome back to How to Study the Bible. I am so glad for us to get a chance to be together today as we continue in our series called Jesus 101. And I've just been loving the focus on Jesus's life and ministry, especially as we lead up to Easter. And I know that there's just times and seasons in life where we need that little bit of maybe just some extra encouragement or reminders on how we can stay connected to God throughout our week between Sundays, between time in church. And so I want you to know that I have a newsletter that comes out every Wednesday morning. It's called Real Talk, and it's a very brief reflection, a point of inspiration, a question for you to consider that I think might be helpful to you week over week. So if you'd like to get on that newsletter, it's totally free, really short, just something to encourage you every Wednesday. You can find it at NicoleEunice.com slash Real Talk. That's R-E-A-L-T-A-L-K. Because you know we like to keep it real around here. We are trying together to discover God's Word and do the work of understanding what Scripture means in the time that it was written for the audience that it was received to. But we also really want to then make that bridge over to our lives and to understand the relevance of God's Word for us. And we're going to continue to do that today in Matthew chapter 4. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus. There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's Unity Weekend. Dot com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation.
So if you didn't listen last week, super important that you know how we're coming into this passage today. So we started in Matthew chapter three. This is where Jesus begins his earthly ministry. It's the very first move that he makes in earthly ministry. It's him being obedient to the father by being baptized. So he's baptized by his cousin, John. And then we're going to pick up the story right then. We have this like really cool moment, right? Where we hear God say to Jesus, you are my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. And we talked last week about how we can apply that to our own lives, that because we receive the righteousness of Christ when we are in Christ, those words of approval, those words of identity, those words of acceptance that God gives to Jesus in his baptism are the very same words that we ourselves are able to receive and able to grow into in our earthly lives. Like that is the great work of our salvation is actually believing more and more, as Eugene Peterson likes to say, believing more and more into our baptism, like being baptized and then living our life, believing more into what that actually means, that we are accepted, that we belong, that we are approved of before we do anything else we are approved of by our Heavenly Father. So that's what happens in Jesus's life. And I bring all that up because we've got this high point, right? Um, In chapter three, Matthew three, verse 17, the very end of the chapter, it says, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And then we just keep reading and listen to what happens in chapter four. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil Record scratch. It's like, why? Why is there this high point, this high moment of God just approving of Jesus? And then the very next thing that happens is that he's tempted by the devil. So what an interesting thing for us to pay attention to that perhaps this is something that we want to acknowledge that oftentimes when we have high points in our spiritual life, when we have uh, maybe moments of victory in our spirit or moments of of real communion and connection with God. You know, it's sort of like that retreat mountaintop experience. If you've ever been on a retreat, if you were a student who went on student retreats, um, you remember that you, you, you arrive on Friday and you're super tired on Friday night and then you have tons of fun on Saturday and you have heard these great messages. And then Saturday night, you have this great worship experience and you're tired and you're like, just ready to receive and God meets you in that place. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so close to the Lord. I love God so much. And then you know, you go back to school on Monday and everything is just as you left it and all your problems are the same. And you're like, where is God now? That must have just been an emotional experience. And and for sure, there's a, there's emotions involved in a weekend like that. But the reality is that's a little bit like our spiritual life, that we can have these times of real closeness with God and really feel like we've made this great leap in our understanding of God's love for us or in our closeness or or in our desire to really live out righteousness in our lives and just be holy and we're we're all fired up. And then we just we go back to work and we complain about our coworkers and we gossip about our neighbor and we are anxious about our future. And all these things that we thought we were going to stop doing, we start doing right away again. Well take heart, my friends, we do see in scripture that This is an element to our earthly life, that we have these mountaintops and we have these valleys. The question is, will we allow God to teach us in both places, in both the mountaintop and the valley, in both our successes and in our failures, 
how are we experiencing the love of God, the grace of God abounding to us more and more? And that's what we're looking at today. So let's read Matthew chapter four, and we're going to walk through our alive method and just see what God has for us as we consider what happens here in the story. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, Ooh. This is dirty. The enemy now uses scripture against Jesus. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Okay, let's think about what's happening here. Let's just start with our first question. What does it say? And remember that when we're doing Bible study and we're asking the question, what does it say? We should always have questions. There should always be aspects of the passage that we're interested in. We're probably not going to be able to answer every single question every time we come to a passage of scripture, but we want to take note of what those questions are. So much of our Christian life, it's easy when you're in scripture a lot to just skip over details and be like, well, it just happened because it happened. But when we put on that hat of curiosity and we ask like, what questions do I have? What here do I not immediately understand or that I would want to know more about? Then we really enter into the discovery process where scripture really comes alive to us and it feels fresh and relevant again. So what do we notice here? First thing I noticed, of course, is that he's out there for 40 days and 40 nights. I just I put a question mark next to that. Like, why? Why 40 days and 40 nights? Um, And then it goes on and we see and I kind of organized in my head. Okay, we have these three elements of what the enemy is doing. And what's always been interesting to me in this passage is the last thing that Jesus is tempted by seems so obviously like God would never do that. Like Jesus is never, ever going to do that. But I've tried to really notice, okay, what is he actually being tempted with? Like, what is the thing? Because it can feel really fantastical to us to think about stones becoming bread or throwing ourselves off a mountain or, you know, seeing the whole world's kingdoms feels very superhero movie kind of, you know, so Instead of focusing on that, I'm trying to ask, like, what is what is the enemy really tempting him with? Like, what is the aspect of his nature that the enemy is trying to get him to act upon? And so when you look at it that way, I sort of see these three movements happening in this passage. And I'm borrowing some language from a book called Anonymous that's written by Alicia Britt Sholee. I will link it in the show notes. It is absolutely one of my favorite books not only on this passage, but also in a true, and I would say prophetic, like truthful way of understanding our human personality, the way that we're tempted, and also how that impacts us in our leadership. So even if you're not a, you know, leader of a big company or anything like that, you are a leader because you have influence. And this book is really about what God is doing when we have these hidden seasons 
before, you know, we come into a lot of impact. So check that book out, but I'm going to borrow some of her language here to describe these three movements. The first movement I think we see here is a temptation of appetite. It's like, it's like that shortcut that's like, hey, rather than waiting for this longer thing, why don't you just make yourself feel good now? And that's, I think, one temptation that we all face as humans. It's one of the reasons why in Lent, we often choose a fast, right? A fast from food or a fast from something that brings us comfort because it is always a temptation to find short-term comfort in order to avoid discomfort, like in order to avoid the feeling of having to wait on God for something. So the first temptation is the temptation of appetite. Hey guys, we're here because the Bible has changed so many lives. So just take a second and think about if you didn't have access to a Bible or you weren't even allowed to have one. This is a reality that many around the world are facing, which is why I want to tell you about one of our partners, Crew. Crew has missionaries in almost every country and they are seeing people come to know Jesus There's just one thing they're missing, a Bible in their own language, and that's where you come in. For only $24 a month, you can provide three people with Bibles each and every month. When you sign up to provide three Bibles with a monthly gift of $24, Crew will also provide meals to 12 hungry individuals through their humanitarian aid ministry. Plus, you'll receive a free copy of my new book, Not What I Signed Up For. Simply text STUDY to 71326 to help today. That's S-T-U-D-Y, or visit give.crew.org slash study. Again, that's give.cru.org slash study. Message and data rates may apply and available to U.S. addresses only. Hello, folks. My name is Derek Greer, and I'm reaching out to fellow pastors and church leaders just like you to join me and other Christian leaders and organizations throughout the nation as we come together on June 8th and 9th for National Unity Weekend. Together, we will show the love of Jesus as we serve our communities on Saturday, June 8th, and then preach from a shared text on Sunday, June 9th. To register, go to unityweekend.com. That's unityweekend.com to join us as we unite the church and unite the nation. I think the second temptation that we see here is he's he's sort of the enemy sort of saying, why don't you prove that you have God's approval. Like, show me that you have what you say that you have. And this is where we get the enemy actually quoting scripture back to him. So let's take note of that. That's something important to remember, that we can have this temptation to show that we are approved of, right? Like to do it ourselves, to do something ourselves, to do something outside of God's timing, outside of God's intent. And then the final one is this temptation to authority, So the enemy is saying to Jesus, I will give you a shortcut to authority. Like what you want to see happen in the world, I can make it happen for you right now. You only have to make one concession. Now, you and I both know it's a massive concession that the enemy would say, you just have to bow down to me. And we really see actually the the heart of the enemy. And remember, like this is a personal enemy that we have. Like this is not, Satan isn't necessarily portrayed as just this like force in the world. It's an actual personal entity, an embodied personal thing happening, not embodied in the sense of a physical body, but actually personal and conversational in this way of engaging with Jesus. And so this, we see kind of the heart of the enemy at the end of this passage, which is, I'll give you whatever you want as long as you give me what I want. Because what the enemy always wants is for humans to be separated from God, to bow down to him 
rather than to bow down to God. So that's always going to be the ultimate destination of soul death is giving our lives away to something that does not have life in it, to give our lives away to worshiping anything that's not God, because that anything that's not God is the dominion of the enemy. So if he can get us to worship anything that's not God, then he's winning. And so we see all of this play out in these temptations, these three movements. So you may not be tempted to turn stones into bread. You may not be tempted to throw yourself off a mountain, but believe me, you will be tempted to make a shortcut for your appetite, to sort of seek short-term pleasure instead of long-term gain. You will be tempted, right, to prove yourself, to prove that you have what it takes outside of God's timing or obedience. And you will absolutely be tempted to try to find life in something other than God and to take that shortcut to getting what you want, what you think will satisfy. So there is so much here for us to relate to in how the enemy comes to Jesus. And then there's so much for us to learn from the way that Jesus sort of in in has this conversation, right? The way that Jesus combats these temptations helps us learn how we ourselves can combat these temptations. So one little point of backstory that is such an important part, that 40 days and 40 nights, that that question about like, why that amount of time? Why is that detail in here? Well, the number 40 is incredibly important in scripture. We see it appear over and over again. And one of those places that 40 becomes really clear is the time that the Israelites were wandering in the desert was 40 years. And we know that in the original intent, God takes his people out of slavery. He is creating a people set apart for him, and he's asking them to follow him. He uses the leader Moses to ask them to follow him, to choose his ways to create a kingdom that will show the rest of the world what it looks like to be in relationship with the God of the universe, the, the one God, the only God. And we know that in those 40 years, those 40 years were marked by just constant disobedience and complaining. Like from beginning to end, God's people were unable to do what God was asking them to do. And in fact, even God's leader, Moses, was disobedient to God because he didn't wait. He took shortcuts along the way where he struck a rock in order to get water to flow out of it instead of speaking to the rock as God had said. Now, we may think that is a very small thing to do, but what's important to see is that the leader of God's people was unable to stay obedient to God. And now we have Jesus, our new leader, the leader of God's people. And this time around, this leader is going to be completely obedient to the Father, completely obedient in every way. And so when he goes into the wilderness, when he wanders in the wilderness for that same amount of time, 40 days instead of 40 years, we see that Jesus is actually able to fulfill and be obedient to the Father. He is a perfect and holy offering of what it looks like to be in perfect relationship with the Father. So he is the new and perfect Moses. He's the new and perfect leader of God's people. So that's like a big theological concept that plays out here that is so cool. Like you start to see, oh, wait a second. What we're seeing here when you read about God's people in Exodus, we're getting this like version of that through Jesus. Like Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. Jesus goes up the mountain to give the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to hear next week. Moses wanders in the desert. Jesus wanders in the desert. So you see this playing out 
of God's building of his kingdom, but this time it's through Jesus, the perfect and holy sacrifice. And this time it's not just for the people of God called the Israelites, it's for new Israel, which is every single person who ever calls on the name of Jesus. It's for you and for me. Isn't that cool? Like, isn't that what's incredible about Bible study is we we discover these amazing layers of what God has given us in his stories in the word. And not only that, we get these amazing truths that connect across history and across generations, but we also get like incredibly practical truths that help you in your everyday life. So as we turn to that concept of helping us in our everyday life, we can ask the question, what does it mean that we see this play out? So I wrote down a couple of things um, that connect to maybe that backstory from Deuteronomy 8, by the way. Deuteronomy 8 is where we see that 40 days and 40 nights. And in the story of Exodus is where you see the whole story play out of Moses and the people. And by the way, as you're reading the story in Exodus, it's Exodus 17, where Moses strikes the rock, where we see Moses's disobedience happen. So just in case you want to know about striking of the rock, you can read it there. So it also shows up again in Numbers 20. So just a few little thoughts for you guys. Okay, so back to the point, what does this mean for us? And I wrote down a few things that I think we can pull from this story for us today. So first, Jesus did what God's people could not do when tested. He stayed obedient to the Father. In this way, he is the new and better Moses. Okay, so that's like our big concept that we can grab out of this temptation, why this happened. Here's super practical, super simple. If Jesus was tempted, we will be too. Like we're not, Jesus isn't gonna go through something that we ourselves, we're gonna go through it too, right? Thirdly, all temptations will pass over time. Notice that in the story that the enemy tries three times to get Jesus. And when Jesus resists, the enemy leaves. Now we know the enemy is gonna come back to Jesus again. We're gonna see him come back to him. But we know that in this moment, when Jesus resists, the enemy flees. That is a true statement that we see again in scripture. Also, we need to know God's word, but we also need to know God's intent. We need to know God's word, but we also need to know God's intent, right? Because the enemy also knows how to quote scripture. The enemy can also use scripture against you. So he quotes scripture to Jesus, but Jesus understands that he is misusing God's intent, that God isn't using, we can't use the Bible as like spells or superstitions, that it doesn't work that way. So not only do we want to know God's word, but we want to be true studiers of God's word so that we can understand God's intent from beginning to end. That's what we do when we talk about Bible interpretation is that so that we can do that work. And God is not going to go against himself. God is going to go for this sense that God is love, that he calls us to obedience, that he calls us to trust him. And what the enemy tried to get Jesus to do was to prove that God trusted. And and that's not how it works. We don't we don't get to say to God, um, prove it to me. Um, it, that's that's not the way of the Lord, right? The way of God is that God has already done everything he needs to do to prove himself to us. In fact, God doesn't need to prove himself to us. We are God's creation. Everything we are experiencing in the world is because God created it. Everything in life is proof that God exists. So we don't get to go to God and say, why don't you show me who you really are? Now, if the intent of our heart is distrust and disobedience, that is not a prayer that God's going to answer. If the intent of our heart is, God, I am showing up for you expectant, and I am asking you to make me more aware of what you're already doing and who you already are in my life, the intent is good. So God's looking at the heart of the matter. And the the heart of the enemy, in quoting scripture, did not have the intent 
of holiness and goodness and obedience to God. But the heart of Jesus, in quoting scripture, has that intent. So we have to examine that intent. I think that's a big takeaway for us. So what does it mean for us? We should expect trial and trouble in our life. If you're trying to be good enough to avoid trial or trouble or suffering, there's no such thing because Jesus was perfect and sinless and yet he was tempted. So we are going to face temptation. We are going to face trial. We do have a real enemy who is very persistent, but he's not that creative. So most temptations in our life will come to us in the form of shortcuts, shortcut your appetite, shortcut seeking approval, find a shortcut to get more authority. Whatever the enemy is trying to do, he is always trying to divide us from God, to have us try to find life in something other than God. So you can ask yourself that question as you go through your day. Am I shortcutting my life apart from God? Am I moving toward more or less dependence on God? Am I using pride or am I satisfying myself with my own comforts in a way that just keeps me numb to my longings and to my hunger for God? Or am I Am I really showing up like a child each and every day with my Heavenly Father, expectant, asking God to meet my needs, to meet me with His goodness and His love, to satisfy me on the deepest level with what I actually and truly need? You see, temptation can actually lead us to good places when we allow it to lead us back to repentance, to surrender, and to goodness with God. And friend, I just want to say this before we close today. If you fail, of course you fail. (laughs) We're human. Welcome to the human race. We're all failing. We all fall short. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God over and over again. But the question is, are you allowing God's grace to meet you there? Are you believing that God's mercy is new for you every single morning and that every time you fall, God is there to pick you up? Every time you fail, God's grace outruns your failure. This is who our God is. He's ultimately merciful. He is ultimately good. He is seeking your good and you can come back to him again and again. So don't let your failure separate you from God. That is what the enemy wants you to believe. But what your God wants you to know is that he's always willing to welcome you back, that he's always waiting to embrace you, that as far as your transgressions are removed from you, as far as the East is from the West, God is removing your sin from you. So come back to him today. Come back to him in your failure come back to him and ask for his strength and he will meet you again and again. He will never grow tired or weary of meeting you in your need. Amen. Amen. Talk to you next week. How to Study the Bible with Nicole Eunice is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you like what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review the podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.